All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. It's been a weekend. It's been an insane weekend of football. And not normally just like in England, I'm talking about kind of all over Europe. Um, obviously, we had the Classico. Don't want to talk about that for another couple of days until we have to. And of course, we had Spurs United. You had City losing. You had Jesse Lingard putting himself in the top three race for the Ballon d'Or. I mean, you had so much, <laughs> so much going on in, in the Premier League. Um, Rian, we obviously watched the Classico together, but we won't talk about it now. How's the rest of your weekend? Let's talk about literally anything but that. <laughs> the 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 rest of my weekend was actually pretty pretty calm. I got I got uh what did I get? Oh my gosh, what did I do? Like nothing. Actually really nothing. Outside you, of you outside did of you watching, did get um the, I got the Dubreka vaccine, I believe it's called. Oh my gosh, no, no. Yeah, I actually got the AstraZeneca. <laughs> This weekend, <laughs> for any of our UK, so. um, but yeah, so so most of my weekend was spent um, trying to avoid feeling any side effects from the vaccine, and then um, and watching a lot of soccer, obviously, which you know is normal weekend. So actually, maybe not much different than any other weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah, you really scale that back honesty. very quickly. Oh, honestly. Um, but Elias and I and uh, one of our our high school friends, we sat outside at a bar on Saturday midday afternoon, but like, not afternoon. Eh, for four or five. It was, it was like, like yeah, it was like evening, yeah, evening like beautiful, almost. like beautiful, beautiful day. Like Saturday really was nice, not yeah. um was not that uh warm it was like what high six high 50s low 60s but it like was really good like yeah really good um still like good weather to sit outside and like kind of fall weather ish i, I would but, do it again <laughs> i would <receive>. yeah <laughs> yeah so that was that was lovely and then sunday was pretty gray and wet and rainy and and yeah so oh i i I watched WrestleMania on Sunday night. That's that was my highlight what? of the weekend. <laughs> what? Yeah, I don't know how many people know this, but when I was younger, I used to love WWE, and now the WWE. This is, is so on... new to me. Yeah, yeah, I used to love it from the ages of like seven to twelve, pretty much. And makes sense. I start. I I met you when I was like yeah. eleven. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so like it's pretty much stopped around like sixth grade, pretty much. So, but um. Uh, that's that's yeah. when you became cool. Exactly. Now, now that's actually when I became lame, dude, as I <laughs> as I would like to put it. But no, it was it was actually really it was a uh, big nostalgia feels because I hadn't watched like WrestleMania in so such a long time, and then it was on WWE is now on Peacock, so I was like, I already have the service, and this is perfect. So uh, spent the night, spent Sunday night watching WrestleMania, and that was actually a lot of fun. Very nice, very nice. We love that. We love that. Anything that makes your uh, your hobbies take it to the next level, like we are with literally this podcast, I respect it. Doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's not immoral or illegal, <laughs> then that's a whole different story. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Rian, let's talk about what you spend a majority of the weekend doing, um, which is a kind of a combination of two things. One, it was obviously watching the Spurs United game on Sunday morning, and then subsequently ranting about the Spurs United game on Twitter. Um, afterwards, which was more of something I did, but 
also <laughs> something that we both are very much used to at this point. Um, a lot happened in this game specifically in terms of VAR controversies, right? What it meant for both teams in the title race, title race, excuse me, the top four slash top <laughs> oh, six race. God, yeah. Excuse me. God, I would never, never say that about either of these teams. But the time, time passed on that like eight months ago, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the start of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, yeah, yeah. The, the title race was over for Spurs at the very beginning of the season. Um, uh, okay. That, I guess that's a bit disingenuous to Spurs, to be it fair. Is. But it passed probably five months ago for them. That is true. That is true. Well, why don't, why don't we focus on United to start, right? They, I think the obvious piece of this is, right, that they are firmly in control of a top four spot. I, I think that's abundantly clear at this point. Um, Leicester now what losing dropping points on in their last two Premier League games is not doing them any favors. And honestly, I think we need to start start having a conversation about what this means, right? What United season's season could mean within the context of the Premier League race. I'll, I'll call it the top four race. I won't call it the, the title race. And, you know, potentially Europa League title that they're currently the favorites for. So what did you make of United in there? I will call this 4-1 win against Spurs for very pointed, obvious political reasons. Um, <laughs> but thoughts? Oh, um, <laughs> I, I loved how you just couldn't resist. Couldn't resist with the VAR controversy which no, I couldn't which, I couldn't which we can touch on if we, we can touch on it uh, a little later but um from a united point of view I mean I, they're always very hard to read right and um on a consistency basis but I think that as a whole for when you look at the season for them and you know taking into account their super inconsistent performances in the group stage of the Champions League and and losing that must-win game against Leipzig on the final day of the group stage as they did. Even taking that into account, they're on track for back-to-back top four finishes for the first time since Sir Alex Ferguson has retired. And 538 currently has them as a 67% chance to make the Europa League final and a 43% chance to win it. And... This is a team that has shown time and time again, coming back from being down a goal as much as it still does feel a bit weird to how much they go down one goal, but you have to give them credit for the consistency of being able to overcome it, whether from a mental point of view or or just from a talent point of view, honestly, in a lot of these games. But I think one of the most impressive things about them right now is this 23 straight games unbeaten away from home, which is now stretching back to last season. They have not lost on the road at all this season. On top of all this, they haven't lost since January 27th, which was that horrible, horrible game against Sheffield United where they lost at Old Trafford. And the cherry on top of this is they lost three times in the first six games of the season in the Premier League, right? And since then, they have only lost once in the league, and that is that Sheffield United loss. And granted, they lost to Palace, Spurs, and Arsenal in those first six games. Two of those teams would have been seen as top four rivals for the for the season. And looking at how the, their seasons, all three of them have gone since those big results, 
I mean, you have to give it to United. You have to give it to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that they have just proved at this moment the second most consistent team in England, right? Mm, I'm not going to say that they haven't been consistent because that would just be factually incorrect. I, I, I think they have absolutely been consistent, albeit there are a few draws in there that were somewhat crucial. Um, I should say could have been uh, three points instead of one. I I still don't know how much credit I give Ole. I I I know I, like I, how can, here, I, here's why here's why I say that because you're assuming that Ole made some sort of tactical mental change after those six games that's led them to go on a run of games that that to me isn't what he did. I I don't I I disagree with that completely. Yeah, I don't think that's what happened. I think when you disagree can, I or think, you. I know. I, I I disagree. I disagree that it was a tact, some sort of tactical change. No, okay, I don't think okay. that's what happened at all. But I, I think that we've talked about this in the Manchester City point of view. We talked about this um, with a couple other teams that were in European tournaments in August and started the season very slowly. And I think that that's looking back on it now, we can say that that is most likely the reason why United were so slow to start the season and. And I think, yeah, it's it's. I don't I don't think there's a lot of um, fantastic like tactical innovation that that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does. But I think at some level you have to give him the credit for, in the least, something that he has done that the past Manchester United managers that have not done, including the one that he just faced this past weekend which was keep the squad happy and together and mentally ready in most games. And even if not necessarily mentally ready sometimes for the beginning of games, at least instilled this kind of mental fortitude where even when they go behind, they don't believe that they are out of the game. Uh, So I have to give him, I think the most impressive thing about Solskjaer in these let's just say last two seasons is what he's been able to do for just the happiness of the players and their, and the mental aspects of it. I, I, I still think at the end of the day that they're going to be in these bigger games, as we saw in the champions league. And as we saw in the semifinals of the Europa league last season in those games is where I think he falls short, but if we're talking about just putting Manchester United in the position to, get the Champions League, get into the Champions League, and the players and are not fighting with each other and not falling out with each other and him, I mean, you have to give him credit for that. And I think we feel like he's probably not long-term the guy, but that could, you know, who knows what happens next <laughs> yeah. season if, if, if some signings, some important signings are made this summer. But there's nothing wrong with being the guy before the guy. Right. And, and I think that's the guy who's, and in that sense, I mean, the guy who stabilizes the team club, whatever it is before the manager or coach that is actually expected to take the team to another level or to a championship level is brought in or identified, I I should say. True. No, I think that's fair. I think that's very, very, everything you said is spot on. I think that's exactly what he's done for this team. Um, Albeit, I think individual talent has taken them very far. I mean, see Bruno Fernandez. It's not. It's not like <laughs> I, I'm very unserious, unfortunately, 
when it comes to Bruno Fernandez, but I have to to rate his performances at the same time. Um, but United are still desperately in need of a number six and a right winger. That's not going to go away until the summer. So they've, I think, probably gone as far as they realistically can outside of winning the Europa League. This is this is the peak of, of what they've hit. A six and a right winger would do them tremendous wonders. I don't know why, for example, Rashford played on the right in this game. I, I guess it was to basically make space for Cavani. Um, that's my only thought. Um, but at the same time, where does, does Rashford I don't know. I'm thinking kind of off the cuff now, but going forward, yeah, yeah, going forward, like you replaced basically that position with Greenwood, and he gives a great assist for Cavani for the for the goal for the go ahead goal, and it's like that that seems to work, right? Cavani is one yeah. of the best point mans, but I don't know, just something to think about. So, yeah, um, what all all I'll say is that United are in a good spot to finish second. I think that's almost a lock, and if they were to win the Europa League this season. Then you probably have to consider this a positive, uh, a positive outcome. For, yeah, for I, I yeah. think I think this is again the peak of what they could have accomplished. Yeah, especially considering what the sentiment and like the talk yeah. around the team after being knocked out by by Leipzig, right? Like you have to look at what happens afterwards. Finishing second, potentially winning the Europa League. That's that's a really positive season. That's a really good really good season and probably you'd say their best season for the club since Sir Alex Ferguson retired, right? I mean, that's even bringing into account that that second place finish that they had a few years ago um, under Mourinho when City won the league by a million points and, and second place was basically just just best of the rest, literally best of the rest. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the, the second half they were fantastic, and, and I think they got to get a lot of credit for that. And, and the second half they were they were fantastic in different ways than they have been, I think, in a lot of games where they came back, where they just thoroughly like dominated possession and like the overall play of the game in the second half. And it was just more of the same from Tottenham, who once again, from a leading position, dropped all three points. And I think that brought them to something like 18 now. I think it's 18 points now dropped this season yes. from, from a winning position. Yes. To to be fair, to be fair, they were never actually in a winning position in my eyes, right? United won 4-1. <laughs> so just throwing that out there. That's fair. Yes. I mean, <laughs> if, not for, if not for Scott McTominay's vicious right hook, uh, no it, look it was right not not safe to, for uh, I don't to, watch it it's awful son that uh kept him unconscious on the ground for for what felt like hours even um, truly <laughs> I, be, I believe we're still uh, talking about him being on the field today <laughs> yeah that, i don't think they've moved him since <laughs> no they haven't but i mean let, let let's actually talk about spurs for a second because uh, where do where do we stand with the let's start with this team as a whole. Let's start with this team and Mourinho and then we can talk obviously about I mean Harry Kane half half a foot out the door potentially. Um I thought this was an extremely woeful performance from Spurs the entire game. I don't think that that even the goal, the go ahead goal from Sun which was great goal. I mean obviously a high quality player, no one doubts that. But the whole time, they lost the midfield battle time and time and time again. Hoiberg's touch let them down more times than I could think. Basically, 
any combination of their midfield players trapped on the left-hand side, right towards the side that basically Rashford was playing on, United outnumbered them. That's all they had to do because their their midfielders were just not on their game. All United had to do was play three against two in in a box, and they got the ball back because there were no options. There were no outlets. There was nothing. Even their, Eric Dyer couldn't be an outlet as a, as a back pass. There was no help up front. This game was lost in midfield. And notice I, I, I'm saying Spurs lost the midfield battle, not United won the midfield <laughs> battle. There's a massive difference. Spurs basically handed it to, to United on a platter. So that was honestly the most disappointing thing for me. And it felt like Marino didn't make any changes. So, I, I, yeah, I, I, I have... I have no idea where to stand with Mourinho now that he's... I think this is his worst run of, of league games as a manager in his career. I'm not here to say that Mourinho is on his way down or something and it's the end of an era, etc. That I think is hyperbole. I, oh, I think... Okay. No, no, I, I know guess, you're going to say. No, 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 no. I think this is hyper... Well, this is a question that we need to talk about then because I, I, I texted you this earlier. Do you think that the way that this Spurs team is performing is a byproduct of how Mourinho himself coaches, or is it a byproduct of what I'll call residue from from the Pochettino era? Uh, I don't I don't mean to sit on the fence, but obviously, like it is a it is some sort of <laughs> combination of both. R- Rian, but... I don't mean to sit on the fence. Sits on the but, fence. But, nice. But... <laughs> nice. I mean, obviously, there's a comp- a combination of both. But, I mean, if you were fully drinking the Kool-Aid of what Mourinho himself has been trying to tell the media, he, he said last week that it's um, same coach, different players as to a response to why they seem to be dropping leads so much as they are, right? But 10 losses this season, which is the first in his career, and the manner of a lot of those losses or draws – being the same exact thing over and over, I honestly feel like that has that's more of the coach at that point, right? Like if if you see the same thing happening over and over, and and a lot of these drop points are coming from Tottenham takes the lead, and maybe for the next ten to fifteen minutes, they they might try to go for that second goal or the goal that that winds the lead and, and where I think that actually during this United game they that the first most of the first half I thought actually they were okay even after the first goal and then I think they tried to, to press a bit higher than um they have in, in the past when they've taken the lead but the second half they fully dropped off as we saw from a lot of like the possession and shot stats even um but I I, I think it's more of the coach at this point and and you don't drop the team doesn't fall off a cliff as much as it does without there obviously being greater issues than than just the coach, right? But I, I think the manner of disappointing performances kind of speaks for themselves because a lot of the same players that are that are being played, right? Even in, in a lot of these um, losses, and the same exact patterns of play that happen in these games, it it, it really makes you feel like it should be a bit more on the coaches and the coaching staff and the head the head coach, the manager himself. I guess, I mean, I guess you're not entirely wrong 
I'll, uh, I'll, I'll concede that. But, but can sure. you make the can you make the case for the that that the player side of it though? Like, can you convince convince me that you think it's if you think it's a bit or the players just share more of the blame? I think the players share more of the blame because a majority of this team is still the Pochettino core, right? So, I I understand that. You know, under Pochettino, the the training was rigorous, and he pushed you to your limits. And you know, you you learned a lot under him, but you learn the same things over and over again without any adaptation for how the world of football is really changing. And this is not necessarily such a massive critique on Pochettino, but there is something inherently within this club that culturally still sticks with these players in a mindset of either I don't want to call it a non-winning mindset, but I'll call it uh no, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to call it a losing mindset. I want to call it a maybe not winning mindset in which they, they almost feel like they can't get past the blockade of, Oh, we don't have maybe the, the mental fortitude, the talent, right. To, to get to level a, they might be at level B. That I think is still sticking with their core players. Your Harry Kane's, your Hungman Sons, Lucas Mora. I'd argue, God knows that it's still in Eric Dyer's brain. I, I it's that that is the thing that really keeps me up at night. If I'm if I'm Daniel Levy, it's the fact that this club and the players around it f- feel like they themselves are not even confident in what they can do. That was around before Mourinho, and ultimately, I think that's the biggest issue with with this team. So I'll leave it at that. Cause I know we got to move on. Um, but all I'll say is that Harry Kane should not be playing for a team outside of the Europa league. Um, I mean, <laughs> b- below top six, like, let's be honest, Harry Kane deserves to be playing <laughs> deep into the champions league every year with the, the talent set that he has. And dear God, I do not want to see him at Manchester city because I will give up <laughs> for all if that happens. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other side of this too. Right. Um, with the Harry Kane reports over the weekend that came just, I think, about a day before that game, where he's now, if Tottenham do not make it into the top four, the, the, uh, um, in all likelihood, he will ask to leave. And you can't quite blame him where he signed his extension the after the 2016-17 season. And since then, their league position, the points the amount of goals scored by the team and the expected goal difference per 90 all have seen a steep decline since he signed that extension. And and now it's tricky because he has three years left on his contract and is unfortunately not in any sort of state of, um, of being able to leverage a deal himself. And it'll probably be very messy in the summer, but you know, I don't know. We'll see. Alex, before we move on quickly, do you think there's any chance that Mourinho goes before the season ends? What's the point? I mean, that would be my question. <laughs> uh, what is the point of letting him go with eight games left? Right, there are eight games left. I think there are eight games left. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think seven. I think seven. Seven. Them. Seven. Well, I mean, what's the point? If you if you're Daniel Levy again, put yourself in his shoes. What do you gain from letting him go? Because you have to think about it as a sunk cost. So the answer is nothing. I mean, you let him go. There's an interim coach that comes in. If you're really planning on letting him go in the summer plan for a next coach to come in in June and then let him go. I mean, it, it's, you're going to lose money either way. So why not just <laughs> do it in two months than now? Yeah. It doesn't make a difference. 
So, yeah, I yeah. agree. I agree. I don't think I, I don't think we see him go before. The, no matter how bad it gets, I don't think we see him go before the end of the season. So, from there, Agreed, at least, um, the shock result of the weekend, which was Leeds going to the Etihad and taking the lead, then going down a man to a red card from uh, the captain Liam Cooper. Just at the end of the first half, spending the entire second half down to 10 men, just weathering the storm of City's 30 shots. <laughs> and it was it was a Bayern PSG situation. Yeah, even worse, honestly, because Leeds ended up with only two shots at the end of the day. <laughs> I know. Both of them came from, uh, from goals just about on the edge of the box, too. I know the second one was a bit more of a breakaway and, and, a, and a one-on-one for, for Stuart Dallas, who ended up getting his brace in that game in... Leeds' best win of the season, I think you have to say, in in obviously not the game where they played the best necessarily, but um, but that's the one that you know goes up on the wall at the end of the season and as a highlight of the season and a highlight of a fantastic season, <laughs> first season back in the Premier League, right, where they're sitting mid table, um, top half of the table, say in tenth, and they've been the most entertaining team probably in the league. There is not a single Premier League watcher that can shit on Bielsa. There's, if, if you are, you're just not a fan of football. There is something so entertaining about watching a slightly overweight Argentinian <laughs> crouching on on the sidelines. With, or knees, squatting, with I should knees, say. knees of steel. Obviously. Oh my God, that man must have squatted <laughs> 300 pounds in his day because he doesn't move from that position. But in all in all seriousness, I've got a lot of love for Leeds, especially in the, in this game because it I, you could tell that it, like these games mean a lot to Bielsa. I mean, he's talked so much about how he played with Pep and or not played with him, but I'm saying played against him during his days at, at you know Bill Bow and how much he respects him. It, to come out and, and play the way that they did and defend so disciplined was really, really impressive to me, especially because their team is not set up to do that. That was the most impressive part is that this team was really not set up to, to defend um, you know, the way that they did. And the other piece of this that I think is, it sounds like I'm taking away a little bit from Leeds' win, but City definitely did not play their gal 11 ahead of their uh you know Dortmund second leg in the Champions League so that has to be factored in a bit but at the same time it doesn't really matter because they still got 30 shots so it's like <laughs> it's honestly at the end of the day it was more of a city loss than a Leeds win but I, I was still impressed with just their raw complete discipline nature that is that is something in, in a Leeds team that I haven't seen too much of this season yeah, and you're talking about a team that team that sits eighth in goal scored, fifth in XG, fifth in shots, fifth in passes into the penalty area, sixth in touches into the penalty area, all while also being dead last in expected goals allowed, fourteenth in goals allowed, eighteenth in in shots allowed, and funnily enough, only, I mean, sixth in passes allowed into their own penalty area so i mean their their games are never them having are almost never outside of this past weekend um 
games where they're soaking up a lot of pressure. It's not like when they're giving up goals, it's it's pretty easy goals for the for the other team. In all honesty, yes, but yes, <laughs> but um, I mean, their their games are unbelievable to watch as a neutral, and you know exactly what their flaws are, but you know they're also gonna really harm the other team as well. But I don't know, Elias. Maybe before we do a slight look ahead into this um, city game against the second leg against Dortmund. But what are your expected expectations for Leeds going into the summer and and maybe kind of going into next season? You know? <laughs> you can, can I'm only... sorry, I, I no, I just when you said expected something, I honestly said it was like I thought you were gonna ask me what their expected goals are for the rest of the season. <laughs> I was like, I don't what I don't know. <laughs> sorry, continue, continue. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I I wouldn't try to uh, I wouldn't try to put you in that position. That would... <laughs> We'd be getting way too into the weeds at that point, but yeah. but no, I mean this team will likely finish a- anywhere in this ninth to eleventh range, right? Which is fantastic for your first season back in. But they also have shown that you know if you throw some talented, he they up their talent level by even like five yep. percent or something, right? Especially let's say defensive wise, if they up their talent level like five to ten percent, like this is a team that could with the right signings be a top six contender next season 100 percent. this this could be leads could be what nuno and wolves could not that's how i look at this team because they have all of the right pieces in terms of attacking forte and i think they have an understanding of what bielsa wants to do given that it's almost basically the same players from from the championship I think that they could absolutely make a top six push. I think that they do need to solidify their, their back line. I think they probably need a more high quality midfielder, someone who's in literally the 10 position to, well, maybe not the 10 position, more of a, more of an eight, I would say. I think their attack is still strong. Maybe they're not, you know, scoring every game, but you know, Bamford and I'll call them Bamford and sons. Like, yeah, they're (laughs) equally competitive. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I think that for the rest of the season, they are a mid-table team. I'm honestly more interested to see who finishes higher, Spurs or Leeds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. Odd, like, honestly. Well, they can make a push. Who knows? Like, they could make a push for even um, that eighth, maybe seventh position. So, yeah, all things, again, all things positive from a Leeds point of view. For City, though, um, this was disappointing, obviously, but at the chances they created, everything else I think will be more or less, um, you know, not a big deal. This this loss is not a big deal for them, obviously, in terms of the table, and I think just in the way they played was was still was still a lot of positives there. But how are we feeling going to the second leg against Dortmund? Which this is a tricky tie now. Like it it, it ended two one. They they just got out of there with the two one two. I mean, it could have been this could have been real sticky going in like one one, right? But but at the same time, um, Dortmund posed a lot of problems in the second half of that first leg, and many more than I would have expected. And I don't know they look very feisty and and look like a team that could pose very different threats to I think. Um, what City has seen most of the season in the Premier League, um, especially in the second leg? I think that Dortmund are 
if we're looking at teams to turn the tie around, would you disagree in saying that Dortmund are the most likely to potentially flip their tie? Because I, I would go so far as to say that. I think that PSG very well could go through against Bayern. I think that... Who else is in the Champions League now? <laughs> Literally yeah, Madrid forgot. and Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, Liverpool yeah, are not going to... No, Madrid. no. That's not going to happen. Madrid. Forget Madrid about that. Madrid and Liverpool and then Porto and Chelsea. Yeah, that's also not going to happen. So, I, I, yeah. I Wow, I forgot who was in the Champions League. Um, so, that's what I would say. I, I would say that Dortmund are actually in an okay position. They're one goal away from... I mean... Yeah, they're one goal away from going through, quite frankly. They're not even a goal away from making it interesting. They're a goal away from going through. Anything can happen with a one-goal difference. Where I think City... I'm very I'm very interested to see how City, ooh, voice crack, are interested in coming out <laughs> against Dortmund uh, this week. I think City have two choices. They can go all-out attack and put this game to bed early. Or B, they can be cautious, potentially let this game slip into Dortmund's hands and try and score on the counter. I think in all likelihood, having seen Pep in the Champions League and what he does, I hate to say, but I think scenario two is probably the more likely one. And I don't think it's the right one, but I think that City are going to be cautiously optimistic and thinking, okay, we've seen this let slip before, and we don't (laughs) want to go down that path again. How do we avoid that? That's where I think that I think that hesitancy will come in, and I think it'll be a very cagey, cagey game with Dortmund trying to to counter, um, you know, when they can, and and City kind of playing it safe, progressive passes, um, not too much penetration until they really have to. Um, so, I, I, I that's how I see it playing out. Yeah, and I think we've seen City do this a lot, a lot in the Premier League where they're able to kind of control the game defensively by having the ball, right? And and right. that in the Premier League is, the thing is, like, it's easier to control those and control those counterattacks against, you know, your Southamptons or your Crystal Palaces of, of the world, right? And I think what has made them so successful in the Premier League this season is not just not as easy to do when we get to this stage of the Champions League, right? The teams are too good. We saw in Dortmund's goal, their one goal, it was just it was just like world-class one-touch play from from their midfielders plus Royce and Holland to finish that goal off, right? And that's that's still something that we know how much Pep loves just being able to control games and and try to take away all the variances that exist in soccer, right? But um, that approach in this game, especially when the when the tie is so close, if it was two nil, much different question, right? But at two one, yeah, the you would think that the solution is to go very hard in the first not very hard but be very aggressive in the in the opening stages of the game and try to take it away from Dortmund as quickly as possible so then you can assert that control that he loves to have in games um but i i do i do agree with you i think i think they'll try to control the game from possession wise and keep it slow and try to 
try to just wear out Dortmund. But the thing is, at the end of the day, I mean, a Dortmund counterattack with the likes of Marco Royce, Erling Holland, um, Cyborg. most likely no, yes, Cyborg, <laughs> most likely no <laughs> Jaden Sancho, I think. Um, but even you throw in a Thorgan Hazard, and and on his day, if 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 he's feeling it, you know, um, Emery Chan and and Gio Reyna, th- those guys, that is a lot more to deal with than any most things that they see in the, in the Premier League. So it's just, you know, as a pet fans as we are, we're hoping that he doesn't do what he's done the last like four seasons in this competition and just keeps it keeps it relatively simple with the lineups and and the tactics um i i think i think something weird could i think the the weirdest thing that i could see him doing in this game is is maybe going a bit too much on the aggressive side and trying to play like jesus and aguero and and totally throwing off rhythm but i think from the players that he left out this past weekend i, I have a feeling that we're probably seeing like Gundawana's false nine or something again. Yeah, completely agreed. Completely agreed. That Jesus and Aguero would make no sense to me, but he played it a couple seen, weeks ago against someone. I against someone in the Premier yeah, League, and I was like, "What no. is this?" <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. It literally it, that you could write a book about how two players could take up the same exact space, and that would <laughs> that game would be the entire book. So. um yeah, I, I completely agree with your thoughts there. We'll see how, how that plays out. I still think City go through, but if they don't, uh, I don't think anyone would be surprised. So let's take a break, Rion, because I'm not ready to talk about the Ballon d'Or and Jesse Lingard. I need a drink. Even though I don't drink, I need a drink. <laughs> All right, Rian, let's talk about the Ballon d'Or, the most important um, individual award in the soccer world. Um, you have, I mean, realistically, right right now, you have three three clear contenders, right? You have, oh, maybe four. You have Messi always, don't at me, um, Mbappe, Lewandowski, uh, even Lewandowski is a maybe. Um, and then you obviously have Jesse Lingard. So... And Luke De Jong, of course. Yeah. And Luke De Jong, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> Diego Costa is pulling up a solid, solid fifth and sixth. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's talk about West Ham and and the Leicester game this past weekend. Obviously, the the biggest story coming out of that Jesse Lingard, what is it, eight goals now in nine games for for West Ham? He's gotten, I think, three assists on top of that as well. There's still <laughs> we haven't. We talk about the top six and the top four race. We always mention the big six outside of Spurs and Arsenal at this point. We always mention them, but we don't talk about West Ham enough. So, what is, like, can West Ham keep up this run of form? And secondly, and more importantly, are Leicester at risk of dropping out of the top four? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> starting from the West Ham point of view, if Jesse Lingard keeps up this pace right now of basically averaging a goal or assist in every game, <laughs> more than actually right now, 
um, then why not? I mean, why not West Ham at that point? If he's going to basically play like one of the two best players in the world for the next four four months, which would be February to the end of May, then yeah, like why not? <laughs> like sure, <laughs> like I sure I think I could see West Ham somehow making it in to the top four, but uh, all jokes aside, I mean. Lingard, since he has joined West Ham, he's first in goals, first in goals and assists, and second in assists um, in the Premier League during that time. And he's looked amazing. Like Not just amazing in the sense of he's somehow just like scored so many goals and just isn't in the right position as he is, but I mean, his genuine, genuine influence on the team is just... Like he he is there, Bruno Fernandez, basically. hundred percent, hundred percent. Less talented, but yes. <laughs> right, right. I mean, he, his output is another level, and most of those are not penalties, right? And, and... that that's that's a dig. That is a direct dig. <laughs> but sure, you're not wrong. Statistically, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, no, that was shameless. But um, Lingard. Honestly, yeah, he, he's you, – you couldn't have convinced me. There was no possible argument that someone could have made to me um, in the beginning of January where they could have convinced me that by the end of the season, Jesse Lingard would be a shoe-in for the England squad at the Euros. There's there's no one who could have convinced me of that. And, and at this point – do you Do you actually think he's a shoe-in? I think he is a shoe in, yeah. I think he got called up to the during the last international break, so literally this last month. And there's quite literally no reason to not bring him at this point. I, I think. I mean, other other than he, he would be taking up a spot for he's not going to take like Calvert Lewin's spot, obviously. No, he's but... taking at the moment he's taking James Madison's spot, right at Leicester, which I think we wouldn't be that surprised if. You know, Leicester finished poorly to end this season, and West Ham, even if they don't make the top four, um, finish as they are playing, more or less, and Lingard continues very, very good form. I, I think I think it would be more likely than not that he's on the squad, in the squad for, for England. Interesting. Interesting. I, I, I guess I don't have anything to rebuke that. I would like to for obvious reasons, but <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. It's it, it, yeah, it almost sounds it sounds unnatural. But you're, I guess you're right. Yeah, but why don't we talk about Leicester then? Because I think the moral of the story is really that they were down by three goals at some point in this game. Um, yes, they clawed their way back, and it was still a three-two loss. But a, are Leicester collapsing? That's the obvious question. And b, do we think that James Madison specifically? Um, right, I know Perez was suspended, but James Madison specifically, do you think that had a massive effect on, you know, the results of this game? I, on the results of this game, maybe from a, maybe from a psychological point of view for the team, honestly, in terms of, you know, it was, um, I think it was probably a very late decision that Madison and Perez were suspended for this game in terms of like the last 24 hours, the 24 hours leading up to it, right? And maybe you could say that on the field, missing not only a player of his quality, but 
just in terms of missing that type of player, even if he was out injured or something like that, Perez would have been there and, and more or less trying to play, playing the same position, maybe missing that type of player through the whole team off. Like we could, I think that's a decent thing to argue. Right. But defensively, they were still picked apart very easily, like too easily by West Ham. And that is something that I don't think James Madison could have helped with a lot. And, um, and it's getting a little eerie in terms of how identical this looks to last season from a Leicester point of view, where through 31 games last season, comparing that to what is going on currently, last season, Leicester were on 55 points, just three points ahead of fifth place. This season, 56 points, just two points ahead of fifth place. They were in third this season and last season. And last season, their remaining schedule included Everton, Arsenal, Tottenham, and United. This season, they still have to play Chelsea away. They still have to play United. They still have to play Tottenham. Right, And those are their last three games of the season. So... I know last season those games were spread out a bit more. Uh, those tough games to end the season were spread out a bit more, but this season they have to run a gauntlet to end the season, right? And a scenario where they probably will have to win, probably have to win two of those games, realistically. At, at least two, at least two. Right? Um, and what might make me, as someone who spent a lot of time writing a, a post about about this team a couple months ago, is that their underlying numbers through this point are actually worse than it was last season, where their non-penalty ex- expected goal difference and their expected points are lower than it was at this stage last season. So in a way, it feels almost more likely this season that that it might fall apart. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with you. It is maybe the, this is me being more of a, a cynic and a suspicious person in some way. Um, It's just all too familiar. That's really what it comes down to for me. It's all too familiar. And I think there's a massive mental element to this. I like psychoanalyzing things apparently, but there's, there is a massive mental just point of view for, for Lester on, we may not make the top four because we've seen this again, not to mention their, their schedule. That's that's a side of their schedule. Their schedule is hard enough. I do think they win one of those games. I don't know about two, but even one might not be enough. Or sorry, even two might not be enough between now and those last three games because they could they could easily drop points. They probably will drop points between now and and the next five games. So or four games, whatever. So I'm not overly confident about Leicester right now, unfortunately, but. It's not like they don't have quality. It's not like they can't beat a top four team. It's just that they're going through a poor run of form. And that happens to every team every season. This is just the worst possible time for them. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, that that's really it at the end. Like all, Each of these teams have gone through their own, almost every team, every team in the top six, right, has gone through their own patch where they where they just weren't picking up the points that either their performances or just genuinely, you know, their um their players on the field deserved, right? So it's just a really bad time for it to happen to Leicester. And um yeah, it's it, the, the next 
their schedule leading up to those last three games, you said it, like they'll have they have to win. They realistically have to win every single one of their games um going to that that final three stretch. So I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. And I'm sure James Madison and Jose Perez, goodness, if if they end up missing out in the top four, I'm sure they'll feel very responsible in some sense. And also, if they were to collapse, it would also just be a, an indictment on on Brendan Rodgers in terms of turning the clock back to 2014 with Liverpool. And and you hope that it's not that. You hope this doesn't stick with him, but. But um, two straight seasons of this, plus his his prior history, will will just really draw away from as good a coach as like we think he is. Um, but this is just this is a real issue if if this comes to light again. So lots to see, lots more to see from from Lester's point of view. But Elias, shall we do a little roundup at the end here, just before we go, and just look at. Chelsea and Liverpool, who both picked up very important wins, especially after seeing the Leicester um, scoreline. Two very different wins. I mean, Liverpool, it looked like it was almost happening again at Anfield. It looked like it was heading for possibly a seventh straight home loss. But they turned it around against Aston Villa, Trent. um, I don't want to say answered his critics because I don't think anyone has ever criticized him about his attack so so <laughs> yes he, he at that least... was you you literally took the words out of my mouth i was like i think a lot of people were praising him rightfully so especially for his his late minute heroics but no one's criticized him for that that was literally gonna be my what okay go ahead continue yeah no that, i mean like that wasn't the issue but you know he came up and in a lot of the games where he had defensive mistakes he didn't score he didn't have the opportunity to score and and make up for those mistakes itself so um no you ha- you have to just tip your hat to him for the quality of the finish like that's just an amazing finish um from your right back so so um they they're looking like they're in a great position to to really pip one of those third or fourth place spots because Liverpool still have the of all the teams maybe probably outside of West Ham um the easiest schedule to end the season here and from a Chelsea point of view, a team that has, I think, one of the more difficult run-ins for, for these top three or these third and fourth place contenders, they put in, I mean, the the best first half performance for sure um, in Tuchel's reign so far. I mean, I th- I'd say overall the best attacking performance um, it's the first time they scored more than two goals, so the, it, the bar was not extremely high there. But just in terms of the performances from Pulisic and Havertz, two guys who have not been able to get on a good run of form this season, really, for more than maybe a game or two. That front three of Pulisic, Havertz, and Mount was the most fluid of any combination of that front three that we've seen so far um, in any of in the past um, games that are too cool. So I, I just have the sneaky feeling that those two are going to finish third and fourth. You, you are just, I don't know what the word is or the phrase is, but you're just like, pulling at strings here like he's just like driving people nuts with 
you're driving me nuts. But just okay. You you mean to tell me that you think these two teams are going to finish second and third? No, no, no. Third. And, I said third and fourth. Third. Sorry, third and fourth in the Premier League. Chelsea and Liverpool. I I I said sneaky feeling, but I'm still saying I'm saying okay. this as their numbers are still the third and fourth best, more or less in the league as well. Too right. Liverpool's four points off. Well, of, yeah, okay. Liverpool is four points off of fourth place. We should yes. like like that if we believe that there's a chance for Leicester to fall out. And if we also believe that West Ham will not quite have enough to finish in the top four, then that leaves two open spots. And the two teams who are not only at least the third or fourth most talented teams in the league, but also are in much better run of form than... Leicester and still Chelsea has to play West Ham. So Chelsea has that control, full control over their destiny there. If they're able to just beat West Ham and, and take care of business in the other games. Right. But I, I, I just have a sneaky feeling that these are the two teams will end up finishing third and fourth. I think that Chelsea are a better shout than Liverpool still. I mean, I'm not, I know, I know. <laughs> like, I'm not convinced that Liverpool have it in them right now to go on a tear in the Premier League. Like, are you con- are you convinced that this team is going to win the next se- six out of seven games? I'm I'm absolutely not. I think that their performance against Real Madrid kind of personified that in some ways because, yes, Real Madrid played excellently. Yes, their midfield trio, trio was world-class. But largely, that game was lost by Liverpool. I think that that easily could have been the case against Aston Villa, despite, again, heroics, individual heroics. That that was maybe the difference between Aston Villa and Real Madrid. There was no major difference with yeah. Liverpool. And, like, and... Independent variable, in, independent variable, independent variable. That's, that's what I'm talking about here. I think I think I think a big difference might be um, Tony Cruz playing a pinpoint sixty yard pass. Yeah, but when you don't mark, yeah, don't mark him. That's what's going to happen. I yeah, but that but that's not going to happen if you're not marking Douglas Louise. uh, For honestly, with all due respect to him, (laughs) I mean, honestly, he's he's quality. He's a quality player, but but let's 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 be real here, okay? So, So so I'm just. I understand. I understand. There's not a lot that you would say from this season that would make you believe that Liverpool are going to be able to turn it on, quote unquote, right? But I think their schedule is extremely favorable. And you throw on top of that, that them and Chelsea are second and third in expected goal difference per 90 in the in the league this season. So... I think Liverpool have had elements of being unlucky this season. Their hardest game that they have left is Manchester United away at the end of the month. But outside of that, there are a lot of games here that they should pick up points against teams who are either low mid, sorry, lower mid table and safe from the drop or 
you know, your teams who who are genuinely down there and fighting from re- for relegation, which is like your Newcastle's, West Brom, those teams that they still have to play. But I don't know. I think I think I think Liverpool's schedule makes them really, really scary for. I would honestly be looking at Leicester and West Ham, right? They're in the rearview mirror, and they are much, much closer than even those three or four points that they are off um, third and fourth place would say, honestly. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not going to disagree with that. I think they're a whole separate part of the conversation. But the TLDR for me is that Chelsea are in a better position than Liverpool when it comes to finishing top four. I do think that Leicester are in the worst possible position. But again, West Ham are probably still in the picture. I would say it goes Chelsea, Liverpool, West Ham, and then Leicester for for finishing top three and four. But don't just don't be surprised if in five weeks, four weeks, we're having a conversation about Liverpool simply not being able to make the top four or very unlikely. I, w- I don't want to say simply not, not having or not possible because – they haven't really hit the mark in how many months, right? In yeah. in a solid performance where you could say, yeah. I feel confident in this team going forward. So just something to think about. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, and also where has Sadio Mane been? That's yeah, all I'll I was going to say. Like also, yeah, I mean, there's look, I, I just said sneaky feeling that there's still a lot to look at with their attack and there's such a lack of fluency um in the front three whoever plays up there now and in terms of finishing ability so that's so that's really where they're where something's gonna have to change drastically for them but um so we want to just close it out here with a little look at what's going on at the bottom now a big big win for newcastle who were trailing burnley at half and could have been down by i think even two maybe three goals honestly from that first half but it all changed when they brought on by far their best attacker, which is Alan St. Maximin. And he, by himself, gets a goal and assists in the first seven minutes of being subbed on and totally changes the game. And Newcastle get out of there with a win, a big, big win, because Fulham were playing the next day and and Fulham ended up losing. Uh, sorry, Fulham had played the night before, I should say, on Friday, where... They were drawing with Wolves up until literally the last three minutes, and Adama Traore pulled out his first goal of the season, which was a screamer, by the way. But um, that plus Newcastle winning probably just about um, just about is is if the nail's not fully in the coffin, it is set up. It is just ready to actually be hammered in. <laughs> the the hole has already been made for the nail to bit perfectly it's all set up already it's looking like Fulham are gonna go down and and at the same time West Brom are making this weird late push <laughs> to somehow get out of the relegation zone where okay they still have a they, while to go I oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah they're yeah. making this weird late push in terms of <laughs> like they've scored eight goals the last two weeks now <laughs> like, I mean, it, it is weird. I'll I'll concede that. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. It's it's all it's definitely too little, too late. They're eight points off of um of Newcastle, uh, but you know um it, it looks like that that 
relegation battle is is pretty pretty fizzing out. Yeah, fizzing out a bit. Here. Yeah, Fulham, um, Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield, probably going to be the three teams that go down. Yeah. So the all the dramas New- in the top four. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The last time Newcastle won was I think against Southampton back in early February, their three-two win. So. Yeah, it, it's all all drama in the top four, and I will love to see Leeds finish above Spurs. That's all I got. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would just be—it's chaos, I mean, man. That's what—that's what I need. It's just pure chaos. For for some masochistic Tottenham fans, that might be just <laughs> the icing on the cake of their season. Yeah, how to sell Harry Kane at less money, <laughs> <laughs> man. But anyway. Thank you, as always, guys, for uh, for listening. We'll be back later in the week talking a little La Liga, reviewing the Classico, talking about why Real Madrid are probably not the favorites. Again, neither here nor there. But with that, we'll leave you guys to it, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.